This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Joseph Berto from White City, Oregon, and you are listening to a special Horse Husbands Only edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 29th, episode 1771, brought to you today by the Shaken Fork and Flexen Fork. I am a manly man who lives a manly life in my manly house with my manly wife. And now, from the Man Cave at the Horse Radio Network, the monthly Horse Husbands episode starring Timothy Harfield of Horsehubby.com and America's Horse Husband, Glenn the Geek. This one is for you guys. No horse women allowed. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Horse Husbands episode here on Horses in the Morning, the world's leading morning podcast for the horse world. And usually on the fourth Thursday of every month, we talk about, well, we talk about horse husband stuff. And, but now this month, we, it was pushed back because I was away last week, and we have five Thursdays in this month, so it was great. We have Joseph back with us. Timothy is off again this month. He's very busy right now with work and with Elisa doing all of her competing stuff. And thank you so much much, Joseph, for filling in again. I, it's nice to know I have somebody I can count on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always fun to be here. And of course, there's no women allowed to listen. If you're a woman, Absolutely none. turn us off, go listen to something else, a little NPR maybe, you know, something, yeah, one of our along. other shows. That's nothing right. interesting happening here. No, there's move nothing along. going on here. You don't want to hear it anyway. So <laughs> just saying, just just get out now. And we ha- we have another roundtable planned for you today, and we have uh, we do have the women's questions that we're going to be answering again because there are always a variety there, and we have some fun people on the roundtable, a couple friends of Joseph's who uh, who've had some horsey connections, and we're going to talk about that. But Joseph, before we get started, the flooding you know just continues, and actually over the last day or two here in Florida, we've been getting the bands in here with some heavy rains, nothing like like in Houston. Did you, when you, you flew fires uh, as a helicopter pilot, did you ever fly into flood situations? Yeah, I've been, well, I've been into several different catastrophe situations, both uh, in fires and in flooding. Um, it's interesting that Texas uh, is, it, it, it's bigger than, than everything and, and what's happening down there is bigger, but Texas has some of the nicest, kindest helpful people you have ever met. It, it's really amazing when you go to Texas, how it's it's just everywhere. And I was flying in the Houston area for Hurricane Rita, and then also in the Bastrop, Bastrop uh, Possum Kingdom Lake area for, for fires. And uh, I have tremendous empathy for what the people are going through. And, and you know, we, we recently had a, a tree fall over in a windstorm and land on a, on a corner of our house, and, and State Farm luckily paid for it. But that was so minor compared to what any of these people are going through, and yet it took all of my wife's effort for almost a week just to find somebody to take care of the siding, somebody to put up the gutter, somebody to do the painting, and all of those kind of things. Imagine that when it's your in, in, entire house. So, and I know, Glenn, you work for the Red Cross, and, and you know how totally devastating this kind of thing can be. Yeah, I see, you know, I've seen such, you know, well, I worked the one, the West Liberty in Kentucky, where we had the shelters opened up the day the tornado completely destroyed the entire town. And I mean, we drove through the middle of the town and it, it was gone. There were cars on roofs and, you know, and flooding is such a hard one. And, you know, most damage from hurricanes is because of flooding. It's not wind. It's flooding, and, and that's what's happening here. Like, you know, you are a helicopter pilot, and we see all these rescues by the, re- by the uh, Coast Guard and other, others now. How hard is it for the helicopter pilot to fly in and hover? And do, is it difficult to do? Crazy difficult. It's the, the Coast Guard, I, I just saw recently, is they had 
helicopters that were flown in from every Coast Guard station in the nation. And the, the lucky part of it is, is these guys are used to hovering over moving water. But if, if I mean, they have auto hold or auto hover in, in helicopters. But if these guys are looking out a window and, and trying to hold the helicopter steady over water that is moving, that's got to be one of the hardest things out there to because do. Because your Not perception is that you're moving? That you're moving, right, yeah. right. And and not to mention the weather that they're flying in to even get to the spot with all the wires and and all the debris and everything else. You, you just cannot imagine the what, what these guys, the Coast Guards, are doing are going through. And and fortunately, you know, this is some of the things that, that Hugo and Rita and Katrina. This is some of the stuff that they're they've learned is that you you got to bring in a lot of of help right from the start. And, you know, we were talking about this. It's hard to put yourself in this situation of devastation. And something that we can do at the very least is is get a donation to the Red Cross because some warmth, some food, shelter, that's what they provide. And, and it's absolutely critical when all you walked out with was your shorts and your T-shirt. You got to have some place to go. And these are the folks that are that are doing it. Well, you know, and is there a certain, do they have a certain number of hours allowed to fly, like eight hours? Yeah, and then- yeah it, it's going to depend upon the agency, but, but for the most part, and government has a lot different rules than, than civilian, but eight, eight hours was the maximum that we were allowed to fly. But then typically they would have extra crew people in there so you could keep rotating people in there so you could, could fly longer days. I imagine, you know, with... with- you got four things. You got both hands and both feet going on, and, and you know, concentrating like that. You've only got eight hours, do you? I mean, geez. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then they also limit the number of hours total that you can fly, which would be thirty-six hours in six days. And um, it, most emergencies where you're out there, like you say, that eight hours every single day, don't last more than three or four days. But look at this one. I mean, the, the length of, of the duration of this, and it's still going to continue. The, the outlying areas, the, the, the Brazos River, uh, the Colorado River, all of these outlying areas are now uh, suddenly having these, these, uh, these floods, which brings up a point, is your guest uh, Heidi Harriet on Tuesday's show talked about preparing for different emergency situations with your horses prior. And since this is the, the Horse Husbands episode, I feel it's really important to get the horse husband involved because even if he's not the one who typically halters or loads your horses or even gets them out of a barn, in an emergency, it's going to be really critical that he can effectively have that 17-hand giraffe that's standing in a stall somehow be able to put a halter on and guide him out. And also, my wife oftentimes is looking for me for guidance in, in these emergency situations. Um, well, and yeah, because if you do have to bug out and they have multiple horses, you're going to be helping whether you want to or not. You know, and, and if you're calm about it, the horses are calm and your wife is going to be more calm. Uh, out here in Oregon, it's fires that are our big concern. And, and we talk quite a bit about if the fire were coming here to the ranch, you know, where would we put the horses? How would we have the water? How would we assist our friends? How could we have their horses come to our ranch? Because we have a, a, a quite an open area. And pretty much what you would do if the situation arose, and, and right now, uh, it's unprecedented. What is going on in, in Texas area, it is unprecedented. And I, and I, don't, I think they're doing an unbelievably good job just on the fly between the, the, you know, the people that are the, the first responders, the, the citizens that are stepping up, the guys that are going out in horses and, and rescuing other horses and gathering up cattle and nobody sitting on their tail watching television on this deal there. It's, it's, it's tremendous. And I, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I, I like to be in the situation where, you know, hand me the ball. I want to be the guy flying and it's, and it's actually kind of hard this time to not be getting in a helicopter and, and flying down and helping out. But in this particular case, they, they have the right tools, you know, to take care of. Well, it. and I think, I think too, you know, we're getting a little serious here, but uh, it's a serious yeah. situation, right? But, uh, you know, I, the Katrina taught, taught everybody a lot. Katrina taught every agency, including the Red Cross, a ton. The Red Cross completely redid its, its manuals after Katrina. I mean, they completely rewrote everything. And I know the government and FEMA did the same thing. And I think that because of that, this is going much better than that did 
Now it's a different situation too. It's a different city. It's it's not New Orleans. It's you know it's Houston. I realize there are some differences there, and Texans will just do what Texans do. But uh, but don't you think that 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 Katrina is the thing that was the catalyst to change all of that? Well, that and and I went, like I say, I was down there for Rita and the evacuation that occurred because of Rita. And then, of course, Rita wasn't really that dangerous of a storm, but the deaths that occurred on the highways, uh, I was there looking at that. And you're saying this this is ridiculous. And I, personally, I think that the, the, the governor and the mayor made the right decision, because if you've got you know millions and millions of people, most of those millions of people aren't affected. They're in their house, they're warm, they've got electricity. There is a percentage of them that are, are absolutely personally affected, and they're the ones they're try, trying to take care of. And to expose those millions to, to 10 lanes of highway traffic going out, um, I, I think that they've made the right move. But, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, and, you know, that's a good point, because that's one of the things the news has been bringing up is, why didn't he evacuate the city? And, boy, you know, unless you're in that situation and you're he's seeing more of the details than we are, and he knows he knows the truth, too. He knows that even if we do a mandatory evacuation, only a certain percentage are going to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ones that aren't going to get out, are the ones that don't have the money to get out, that don't have the money to buy gas or food or hotels. And, and you're actually going to be taking care of the very same people after you call for an evacuation and the roads are now a mess. Right. So I, I, I think that, you know, I wouldn't play, you know, the quarterback on this thing here. Just, just hope the rain ends, hope the outlying areas. I mean, I'm sure they're all taking it dead seriously and, and uh, and then you know that Louisiana is able to to, to work it through. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that uh, it's heading its way up, and that uh, we're going to see some other states, Mississippi and Alabama and, and Tennessee, and all of them getting their share of rain. It's not going to be quite as bad, but they're they're going to get wet. That's for sure. We're even getting wet over here in Florida. Uh, you know, and Florida, of course, living in Florida, this is something that we all we all do plan for and think about what we're going to do. And by the way, Timothy and Elisa, we haven't told you this yet, but if we ever have to bug out, we're coming to your house in <laughs> Georgia. So look out because uh, we're, we're coming. <laughs> There's to you. the planning, right? That's right. I'm planning right on the air, Timothy. We're coming to your house. So yeah. Yeah. Them- we had, uh, sorry, we, we had people that called us from uh, Brookings. We've got the Chetco bar fire and we had people call us from Brookings because of the situation with work and we evacuate our horses too. And, and is your place available? So um, yeah, it's really something to think about. More so this year than than a lot of years, it seems like. Well, very good. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, chat a little bit about the Shaken Fork and the Flex and Fork and what you got going on over there, and then we'll start our roundtable with Travis and John. Okay. Well, uh, August, September, getting to a little lighter thing here, is the most popular month for um, for new babies. And so my wife and I, we were born in both in August and September, and uh I was cleaning recently with one of our new carbon fiber versions of the Flexen fork, and my wife happened to try it. It's my fork, but she tried it and immediately remarked that she would love to have one for her birthday. So even someone with a half a dozen regular forks, even if they're Flexen forks, they find this the carbon fiber version of the Flexen fork to be really special. Is so it, is it so you, much lighter or what? It's so much lighter. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really amazing if you're picking up, you know, if there's 20 loads a day per horse and you've got 10 horses, 200 loads, and each load is going to be two or three pickups, and each pickup it's a half a pound lighter. And you you do the math, you're you're picking up a hundred pounds less of fork. Is it as sturdy? It's it's more sturdy. It's virtually indestructible. Hmm. Yeah, we yeah, it's because it's made from carbon fiber. They're they're more expensive, but um, you know, you have a call out to your to your barn at nighttime, and you're going to have a two hundred dollar car call out fee to have the vet there, and then a half hour later the vet's gone. Spend one hundred and fifty dollars on this carbon fiber flexion fork. It's going to be there for the next ten years. It's pretty cheap, and your wife or your significant other talk to Jamie or whomever. They love these things. They're they're really a, a, a great product. We have the regular uh, flex and fork, and you know we use it. We clean the paddocks, and that means going out once a week and taking about two big loads out. And I would we don't we don't even have a regular fork anymore at the farm because <laughs> landlords yeah, we, bought it from you. Remember our landlords bought yours after using ours, right? And, yeah, right. And they keep lasting, and and uh, you know that's that's the good part about them. And speaking it's kind of another thing, it's bad for you, here, by the way. 
Well, it, it wasn't the best business plan uh, to, make, to make something that lasted forever. Did you and not learn the term planned obsolescence in, in business class? You didn't learn that one? No, and, and it is funny because now I get people that are literally wearing out their fork tines. The forks are four and a half or five inches long. They've worn three inches of fork tine off. And they say, you know, my fork is wearing out. And I comment, well, that's because the tines didn't break. That's right. And if your tines break... <laughs> You never find out if your fork is going to wear out. So after four or five years, if your fork wears out and you got to buy a new basket, you know you got good service out of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true because usually w- you got six months at the most. And I wanted to to extend an offer and also ask your your listeners uh, if if they could maybe help me out. Uh, I have a new invention. I just got a recent patent on it, and it's an improved hearing protection advice, kind of an earmuff, earplug kind of thing for the people um, or the horse. This is for 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 people. Okay. Um, if you're running a chainsaw or something like that, it'd be, it'd be darn nice. But it's kind of a, a, a reaction to dimensional weight and coming up with a product that, that I could ship. But with global resources, we could have drawn the blueprints in the Philippines or made tooling in China and made the parts in the USA and sold it through a Kickstarter campaign and all that. Or, since I'm on the radio, I thought I'd ask any of your listeners if you might have a contact with someone in product development at 3M because 3M is a leader in hearing protection devices, and I really like their testing methodology. And uh, I know Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank says this is the perfect product to license. So if you know someone who works at 3M and can make an introduction to me or to Glenn, I'll reward that introduction by giving you your choice of either a shaken fork or a flexen fork with a carbon fiber handle. And we're talking a $400 value. So hopefully the power of uh, Horses in the Morning podcast will open a door that I haven't been able to find using online product submission methods. And Lord knows I've tried through the 3M website. Well, there you go. If you you know anybody at 3M, hop to it. Chop, chop. Yeah, call Glenn. <laughs> Glenn at horseradionetwork.com. Just send me an email. and uh, or, or you can contact Joseph through the website. What's the website? That would be equitymfg.com, E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. Oh, so our first guest today is Travis Snyder, and Travis is a friend of mine. He lives close by here in Oregon. Uh, Travis is the general manager of one of the largest electrical contracting companies in the area. I hope I've got that right. And um, his father was actually a radio host back in the day. Oh, wow. But more important for, for us is uh, his wife is an enthusiastic horsewoman. I think he rides a horse from time to time. At least he did at one point, And he has two, uh, two boys there growing up. How are you doing, Travis? I am doing great. And, and you definitely got most of that right, except for the ride the horse once in a while. <laughs> uh, last time I was on the horse, I was courting my wife. And it worked. I got her. We've been married 16 <laughs> years. But other than that, haven't been on a horse since. You haven't been on a oh, horse since God. wedding day? That went out the window on the wedding day? Is that it? Well, it was, yeah, yeah. I, I, I learned, I learned uh, quick that um, uh, it's good to have your own hobbies and support your wife's hobbies. <laughs> good, good plan. <laughs> how, many, how many horses does your wife have? Well, so... Um, I heard this actually on a previous episode. This is uh, apparently happens all the time. So when when I met her and married her, she had two. Um, now I'm a little confused because every time I ask this question, I think we have somewhere between uh, four and seven. I'm not quite sure what the number is. Changes all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, uh, the it easy does. way to find what you're going to have, Travis, is go count the number of stalls in your barn. And then add you two. run out of stalls? <laughs> Right, but we do horse boarding, so Um, I'm not sure if some are boarding or she says that they're boarding, but they're not really boarding. They're just one of our horses. It's still a little hard to tell even at that that point. Horse women don't exaggerate, Travis. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I I found that out. (laughs) Yeah, we know the size of the pasture isn't limited to what you own, because the next thing you know, your wife's favorite horse is over in your neighbor's pasture, and then they adopt the neighbor next to that. And so the pasture size has nothing to do with the size of the herd, but stalls tend to kind of yeah, limit it. Yeah, apparently the size of the state doesn't either, because I know I've had horses in different <laughs> states getting trained as well. So uh, as far as I know, that could be going on right now, too. I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Well, we have. And a, let's see. Yeah, you want to introduce John? He's hanging yeah, out by the side a, of the road for us. Yeah, John. John, my friend John Burton. Uh, he lives up in Alaska. He used to live down here in Oregon, and in fact, his his wife keeps his horse nearby here. Uh, John is a pilot and uh, airplane restorer extraordinaire. I know that he rode years ago as well. In fact, I, I believe he even had a horse, um, but not so much. No, no, no. I married. I married into the horse, the horse thing. I never had a horse of my own. Well, his wife has been actively involved in horses for a whole lot of years, um, and they've raised two girls, both of whom ride. And he also has grandchildren with one of them and those. And what's remarkable to me is to talk to a horse husband that's also a horse grandparent. And I know in John's case, it took generations of commitment to to his girls and his wife and his horses. And there have been a a lot of sacrifices along the way. Yes, that's that's true. Uh, uh, Just to give you background, I I married into this horse thing. uh, But is it even before that? in California, when I was when we were kids, uh, in 1973, um, my wife's parents were close friends with my my parents, and they had to move to Pennsylvania, and they left four of their horses on our place, my parents' place, and uh, then they came back a year later and picked them up, took them away to Pennsylvania. So I never saw my wife, uh, or actually, it wasn't my wife then. But uh, she left California in uh, 73 and then uh, went to Pennsylvania. And then she moved back to come back to San Luis Obispo to uh, a uh, a horse place down there in, oh, golly, that must have been like 1981. And uh, then my brother fixed us up, and by golly, uh, the rest is history, and we've been married ever since. Uh, Since we got married in 82, so she came she left with horses and she came back with horses and we still have a horse i think there's not been a day that we've been married that she has not had some kind of a horse in her life well john uh, travis would love it if she only had one so <laughs> <laughs> well we've well, had a barn I mean, full at I some mean, point and we're down to one, one now. per horse yeah. <laughs> so i gotta ask each sure. one, i have an early question for each of you travis what was the thing that surprised you most about the whole horse thing after you after you dived in and got married or what was the thing that first shocked you well i, I have to admit so i was raised on a small ranch and and so i vowed after that experience and getting up in the morning and taking care of cows and that I would not own any animals, period, when I grew up and moved out of the house. And uh, I, was, I was true to that until, of course, I fell in love, and then that went out the wayside. Um, for me, the only surprise with my sweetheart with her horse fetish is just the sheer amount of stuff that you need to have per horse. Um, you know, so, so I'm, also, I'm a contractor. I, I love building stuff, and I'm an electrician. And, you know, when I built this barn, I'm thinking, well, I mean, how, how could you possibly need a bigger barn than this? Because my wife only owns two horses. And I, so I quickly learned that no matter what you big build, it's not going to be big enough and it's not going to last. You're going to have to keep on adding to it and adding on just for the stuff that comes with the horse, not even including the horse. And I think that also applies to the to the trailer, and then then the you know the half ton truck, the, truck. the one ton becomes the dually becomes yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. I got all those t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you start getting yes. your hay delivered by the semi truck load, you you know you're yeah. really you've you swallowed the Kool Aid. <laughs> We had that happen. We did get a semi truckload the one time, and it just turned out that we ended up closing on a new farm and had to move the entire semi truckload out of the barn and to the new farm oh two weeks later. So, oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah that that stinks. <laughs> That's timing right there. You can't time that any better. So, so uh, John, what about you? What was the thing that surprised you the most? Say that one more time. What was the thing that surprised you the most about the whole horse thing after you got married? Oh, it was the the dedication to the horse and the, uh, well, I would rather stay home and 
play with the horse than, than go on vacation, uh, or I can't go on vacation because I have to stay home and do the horse thing. And that just meant to go to the barn and smell and deal with <laughs> the smells and the, the accoutrements that go along with horses. And so, I, I'm uh, looking through the... I'm looking through the phone, John, and all of the male listeners are going, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. But I will say this, I very rarely did I have to go take barn duty because there was always, always ladies in the house to take care of that. And I'm pretty allergic to uh, first cutting of grass hay, and so <laughs> oh, that's I would just use that for my excuse. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, convenient. I just never had to unload that. Hey, <laughs> that's really convenient. I wish oh, I had that I excuse. Tried that. Yeah, I tried it, but then we moved I, on to a hundred-acre horse farm, and that that was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Do I take? Uh, I tell you, Joseph and I used to live in Truckee, California, and we had we had a horse up there that I had to build a little shed for, and uh, the darn horse wouldn't even go in it. It would just stand outside. I actually stopped by to feed it one morning, and there was probably four inches of snow on its back. It didn't want to go in the shed. It would stand outside. So I said, why bother? Okay, if you don't want to go in, I I guess I don't feel sorry for you. That's insulation. So, the snow is well, insulation. Well, then you learn that yeah. that horse has to have some place to pee. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, I got a question for you. This came from one of the listeners, and it goes right into what we were talking about. Jessica wants to know, what are your horse hobby, or what are your other hobbies other than horses? What are your hobbies? So, Travis, do you have a hobby? Uh, yes, I, I am a musician, so I, uh, I'm a guitar player, and uh, actually I've got a, a, a slew of hobbies, but that's probably my main one, which, which I call my barn time because my wife goes, you know, I have to barn at least two hours a night, that gives me a chance to, you know, play play with my guitars, do whatever else, and uh, get some of my my time. And I think that is the key to a very successful marriage. Does she whine about the noise if you're playing at home when she's there? She doesn't. I, amazingly enough, and, and we're lucky to live out, of course. And and um, no, no complaints at all. So all that's right. uh, I'm I'm very blessed. <laughs> she's just happy you're not bitching at her for going to the barn so much. <laughs> That's what it is. That's yeah. Actually, it's the opposite way. It's like, honey, isn't it time to go feed? <laughs> so, um, she gets the hint. It's good. John, you do have a hobby, and I see it here as an airplane restorer, right? Oh well, that's it's, it was a hobby slash profession, and I guess I have taken it to the extremes in some places, and sometimes I wish I could walk away from it, but. I'm, uh, yes, the hobby is aviation in general, I suppose. And you were a pilot so, for a yeah. living? I have been a pilot for a fishing lodge, taking high-end clients in a float plane uh, fishing. Um, and that's the only commercial flying that I've done. The rest of the time, it's all uh, mechanical, mechanic stuff. And it has in the past been antique airplanes with... Uh, you know, biplanes and wooden airplanes and fabric airplanes and oh, wow. very old airplanes. And as back as early as 1918 was the earliest one that I worked on a, a Curtis Jenny, a 1918 Curtis Jenny recovered it. It's in the Army Aviation Museum in Fort Rucker, Alabama now. Oh, wow. And, and John's skill doesn't just stop it at that type of planes, because one of the most complex planes in World War II was a P-38 Lightning, and John was involved in restoring several of those, everything from the metalwork to the gas tanks to the engine. So he, he, when, when he talks about being able to restore airplanes, there, there's very few people that, that he'd, he'd be an extremely high-level dressage rider if that's what his chosen profession was. <laughs> it's pretty astonishing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and and as you know, well, in my I like particular case, I like precision and stuff, but sometimes, like the dressage thing, is all kind of about precision. But sometimes I just want to be taken on a on a on a trip somewhere. Like uh, uh, let's just ride into the mountains with my fishing rod and go fishing. And I don't want to sit and look pretty. I just want to be taken somewhere. 
<laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. And you know what you said? Well, I forget, was it Travis that said or John said about going away? That's one of the things that shocked me too when I first got married is you, and we had a big farm, so you couldn't go anywhere with this 30 horses there. And it was, it was a lot. And I had been, I had come from a life where I was single, making money, and I could do anything I wanted. So yeah, I was used to just going to wherever, get an airplane and go. And then I, I got to this and was like, whoa. We we can't really go anywhere. So that was the biggest shock, I think, for me too. Yeah, yeah. Me, it's a, it sure ties you down. That's for sure. Yeah, probably more yeah. than any other hobby, right? I mean that that your wife may have. I can't think of another one that would tie you down more than this one. At least dogs you can bring to the dog sitter. You know, horses are tough. Well, I just make a dog door and let the dog take itself out every month. <laughs> what was that, Travis? I said, and our hobbies don't don't continue to cost every single month, no matter what. That's true. You can put them on hold for a month. <laughs> that, that's correct. Yes, set I just, down That's what I say. A set of strings, it's not the end of the world. Right. <laughs> that's what I say about airplanes. You can just close the hangar, and if you're not burning gas, it's not costing any money. That's a good point, there, Travis. That is exactly. a good point, for sure. Now, it, this is. Uh, so this is a good question, and I think you guys have already answered it. Jessica had a follow-up question. Are are the horse girls into your hobby? And apparently Travis and John know, so they're not into your hobby. No. No, I, I have mine to be, yes. Chris, Christy is very, very supportive of mine and, and, and into it. She, uh, she loves sitting down and, and listening to me play as long as I'm not getting too obnoxious. <laughs> so as you're not doing headbanger music, you're fine? Uh. Right. <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to ask Ellen's question, uh, Glenn. I, I think that'd be a nice follow-up here. All right. How do I get my husband at all interested in what I'm doing? He can't even lead a horse correctly, much less want to go to shows or anything. Occasionally, he'll throw hay over the fence. That's just an entire extent of his horse involvement. <laughs> and, and I can speak to that because I, I, uh, I know that they're asking not just for you specifically, but for other other potential horse husbands out there. And, um, and what I would say is, uh, when your husband wanted to take you out on a date, did he make you wax the car first? And, uh, what happens is that, that the horses, they, the, the women have to make it so that the man doesn't have to do anything. And that means no brushing, no picking hooves, no, uh, no manure, no, especially you get to go clean manure as a reward for getting to ride. We want just what John was saying, right. a, a calm horse, ready to ride, fishing bowl there, pole there, climb aboard, go for a stroll. And then whatever you do, don't be critical of his position or how he holds his reins or anything because Horse riding is one of the most things ever, and if you spoil it by being too particular, then the introducing part just won't work. And uh, maybe you guys can can let me know a little bit because you're not quite as involved with horses as I am. No, I, I think you bring up a really good point, Joseph. I mean, one of the things that I've always said to to uh, to, to my wife is, if I got into horses, I think it'd be almost detrimental to our our wonderful marriage because I will screw up. I, I, you know, I don't know the proper technique on the horse. And by the, the fifth or sixth time that I'm corrected on about not sitting on the horse properly, it's probably not going to end well. So, right. um, right. <laughs> so I, I think, I think all the women out there, out there have to be very careful what they wish for. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know, what ended up with me is, uh, I took up driving cause I never liked riding. So I took up driving, which turned out to be much more expensive than riding. So I had a more expensive <laughs> yeah. hobby than her at, some, at one point because carriages and harnesses. And I actually had more horses than her at one point, too, which she reminded me of daily at that time. Uh, I heard about okay, that. But you don't get to I, John, I've, <laughs> no. I, I've had a little experience driving also, and I was more interested in the mechanics of the driving and why they made this lousy vehicle as i was told that it was called instead of a cart or a wagon or a buggy um why they made it the way they did and i by golly i could build a better one so um <laughs> did you uh the gal that uh, joseph and i both know that uh, put me in there i was actually teaching her to fly at the time and she, when i said i want to learn to drive and she said well 
let me ask you this. Can you learn how to, can you learn how to fly a multi-engine airplane? And I said, well, technically yes, but it's not usually done that way. She said, good, get in, sit down and shut up. You're learning to drive a pair. So I learned to drive a pair right out of the gate. <laughs> why, why start with one when you can start with two? And you'd have to exactly. know Carol to, to know just exactly what you, what you're getting yourself into when you when you sat down with her. <laughs> and and these were these were not little horses. These were big heavy horses <laughs> with with a big heavy wagon with big tires. <laughs> Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it is fun. But isn't there it? was just too many other callings on the on the day, on the allotted time in the day, so it never really went anywhere. And I, I love to drive as well, Glenn. You've seen pictures of me with my Andalusian stallion, and I've got a wonderful carriage that I restored. And um, early on, I was I was doing a cart, and I, I did the Ben-Hur thing for quite a while. where We'd be galloping as hard as we could, and then one time we went screaming around a corner, and I lost a tire, and things got way too exciting. And I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm going to just back up a little bit and and just go with the, with the carriages. And, and I still do that. And I love it. I, I think it's great. I, I support your enthusiasm for them. You know, there are dangerous though. And that, that's, you know, a lot of riders will like Jennifer does not like getting in the cart with me. <laughs> she thinks it's too dangerous yet. She did a venting, broke every bone in her body over the years. Yet she still thinks being in the cart's way too dangerous. And you know, when you think about it, you do have all that vehicle in addition to the horse. So if things go wrong, they go wrong. Yeah, and you can't, I mean, the answer to trying to get them to stop isn't to be yelling at them stop or smacking them on the butt with a rein. You've got to really start (laughs) to think ahead of what to do when a horse is is looking to you for direction. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's really something. All right, Carly. Some people, it's not for them. Let's change gears a little bit. I love Carly. She's so sweet. And she's a, and she assumes we know anything about this. So I think that's even sweeter because she assumes we're men. We'll know this. Uh, I'm going camping this weekend. Any sweet camping tools, gear, camp food I need in my arsenal when I get over to Bass Pro this week? <laughs> Any campers in the group? Anybody? Uh. Tell her to buy an RV. It makes it a lot simpler. <laughs> there you go, Carly. <laughs> How about a hotel? That's my answer. Uh, hey, what I really like is, yeah. is, by inference, Carly is adopting, it sounds like, some of her husband's uh, uh, hobbies. Yeah, her husband which, is uh, a big uh, hunter and camper and stuff. And Carly, I think, was kind of a city girl. So this, you're definitely right. I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, so she's learning how to how to hook the guy is is get involved with his hobbies. Although I can't, I can't really see Christy playing a you know a Fender, but that's that's fine. <laughs> I, I've tried; it didn't work out very well. <laughs> well, I told I, her I wanted to learn the drum set just so I have a drummer to play with. Oh, but, that'd, uh, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'd be good. I'm not giving up, and I, I think actually I think I told her if she, if she would learn the drum set, I will learn how to ride, and I I will ride with her. That's how wow. motivated she was to learn the drum set, and she does not want you at the barn. So there's her answer. <laughs> well, I was just, right. It was 16, 16 glorious years, and uh, she still doesn't play the drums, and I told her, uh, right. So there, yeah. there we have it. her answer. Well, Carly, we really appreciate you assuming that all guys know about camping, but we're apparently a hotel bunch. So Who has time for camping? I, I mean, we're horse husbands. Last time we you know? camped, Jennifer and I, we, we, it was before Renaissance Fair we were working. It was the night before. It poured rain all night. Everything was soaked. We had to go to the Renaissance Fair in our costumes to work that day that were completely soaked. So, no, that was our last camping. That's the last we did. Yeah, that. yeah it's got to end with a warm shower. That's where I'm at. Uh, Rachel, oh, God, this is a good one, guys. We've never had this one before. What's your favorite barn or horse smell? For example, I had a friend who absolutely loved the smell of Vetrolin after I did my horse up. Well, first of all, Rachel, you'd have to assume that we know what sm- Vetrolin smells like Vetrolin there. Vetrolin is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so favorite barn or horse smell? Hmm. Anybody? Oh, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't I, know how to answer that. <laughs> Travis, go ahead first. We'll start with you. The, the uh, you know, I'm, I'm told before I go to bed, I have to take a shower. But I've noticed if my wife's out in the barn and scooping poop for the last three hours, apparently she doesn't have to take a shower before she goes to bed. That's different rules. <laughs> that's just that's just a, a horsey husband thing you have to put up with. So um, lucky, lucky for her, I actually have uh, really horrible uh, sinuses, so I don't actually smell that well. Um, so it doesn't bother me at all. So there you go. 
So you don't have a favorite smell because you can't smell it anyways. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> How about you, John? The, the favorite the favorite smell is to go in the barn after the the hay delivery has been made and the hay is all stacked and I don't have to, and I can say uh, I don't have to deal with that anymore. It's done. And the woodshed was adjacent to it and it was full and things are good. So yeah, my favorite smell was when it was when the barn was full of hay and and we were we were we were set for the year. Yeah, I liked uh, actually did like I but I had to help put the hay in the barn because I didn't have your fake excuse. So <laughs> I had to help with that. Well believe me, it's not a fake excuse. Okay, all right. <laughs> I hear you. But the fresh cut hay when it's put up is really I like that smell. Joseph? Yeah, it. I mean, I, I'm out in the barn all the time, and, and my favorite thing, and everybody can, I think, relate to this, is you go out in the morning and your horse is, is really gentle and soft. Maybe it's got a little bit of moisture in the air, and you can smell those sweet pine shavings and then the grass hay, and, and a stallion has kind of a dusty, masculine, warm essence and you, you put, I put my nose up to his shoulder and, and he knickers and, oh my God, the smell is just, it's incredible. And you, you, you can actually feel the power of the horse by the, by the smell that comes off of him. But I have to say personally, instead of Vetrolin, I, I prefer sore no more. I think that that has a really nice smell to it. I prefer fresh shavings that are just put down on the barn. That's, that's yeah. nice too. The wood smell. Yep. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Hey, we're going to change gears. Well, I'll say, I don't. Yeah. I don't really prefer the smell of the hay. It's that smell that senses that the work is done. All right, no, I, I, we, heard do... you. <laughs> we heard you. We heard you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Avery, <laughs> we're going to change gears here a little bit. We do a show called. Uh, uh, heels down happy hour now, where it's three girls in, in the bar talking at the end of the day about horsey things, and they always do a drink recommendation. And Avery, because apparently we have a lot of alcoholics in the audience, she wants to know: Can we get a drink recommendation uh, from each of the guys? So she wants to know what your favorite alcoholic beverage is if you drink. Travis, well, I, I'm a, I'm a Jaeger fan. I I love uh, chilled Jaegermeister right out of the bottle, right out of the freezer. Did that come from your college days, by the way? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've always liked black licorice. I, I think that's where I picked that up. But, uh, and, and I'm not a beer drinker, so I, that's, that's just always been my drink of choice. Huh. John, do you have one? Or- I'm, I, I'm not a drinker uh, by choice because I can't stand it. But a good iced tea or flavored tea or water is the best. And Joseph, yeah, and same story. Being a pilot, I, I just, I just avoid alcohol now. But, but what I'd do is I'd ring up Leslie Wiley and ask her what her <laughs> yeah, recommendation <exactly>. is. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I bet That's, she'd have a good one. She'd have a dozen. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. My, mine used to be Bellinis. I, I loved Bellinis. I can't do that anymore. But uh, I loved the Bellinis in the old days. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Oh, this goes this goes to the opposite of the question we had before. This is by Andrea. I love the way she wrote it. I'll just read it. It says, best way to thank the non-horsey boyfriend for helping out in the barn. And then she put beside the obvious. Well, that's all we got for you, Andrea, is the obvious. So yeah, right. we're guys. The obvious is bad. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm scratching my head. I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. You know, women assume we're deep thinkers. That that's the problem is they assume that we have all of these intellectual thoughts and that we're deep thinkers like they are. Nope, we pretty much like food and sex. That's it. And having having our sheath washed. Yeah, exactly. come on, we're really <laughs> simple. Right. Right. <laughs> There's nothing more to but us. It's, it's true. After after Christy and I get done, you know, work, working in the barn, building whatever, we always usually treat ourselves either go out to dinner or, or, or do something, kind of a, a, a mutual thing. So always works out great. I was glad you said going out to dinner because I was going to have to cut that part out. So I was, uh, I was sweating oh, there for right. a little well, bit. Well, I, I do remind her afterwards that I did pay for dinner, and I do expect <laughs> That's anyways. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll right. move on. That's right. <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> but am I right about that? <laughs> Women assume that we're these huge intellectual beings, or, or is it they just wish we were? Well, I, I think Joseph is. I, I can't speak for the rest of us, but, uh, um, you know, as far as me, yeah, I'm pre- pretty pretty simple guy. Good food, good wife, good family. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm, I said right I'll, I'll second this, that. Yeah, in the same same vein, what I want is some time spent just with me. Meaning, occasionally you got to leave the horses alone, uh, go out on a on a non horsey date, um, some good food. But the biggest thing is, I love a date that she arranges, soup to nuts. She figures out where we're going to go, what movie we're going to see, where we're going to eat, and that's my idea of of really. Um, a great way to thank me for the work that I do besides the obvious. But you know, that... I, I like that. That, that, that is good. I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take you up on that and, and get Christy to do that. That'd be great. I, yeah. I would love that too, except I know it would involve horses in some way, shape or form. <laughs> the thank you is going to involve horses. Well, we do have a rule in my house and it's broken all the time, but at big family dinners, say it's uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, uh, no horsey talk at the table. Now, me saying that, I've never succeeded, but that is a rule of the house. Yeah, otherwise, dinner is late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm the one that has to prepare dinner because she's down in the barn, but that's, that's a whole other subject. I was going to ask you who cooks, guys. I cook. I do the cooking. I'm a, I'm oh, a I, I, I do, too. My, my wife does, does. I mean, she tries, bless her heart, but, uh, yeah, she's, she's not the cook. Travis, are you the cook? Oh yeah, I mean John. Or John, I'm sorry. Yep. No, no, no. I am not the cook. Uh, I can, uh, but uh, I would probably pick something that she would not care for. But uh, I'll tell you this: that that I do do my own breakfast and lunch, and so that frees her up to be in the barn. Ah. And so she it. always has stuff prepared for evening meal. By the way, John, what part of Alaska do you live in? We live in Wasilla. Oh, about really? an hour north. End. Yeah. Is it that? I think that's where Lisa Kelly lives. Uh, uh, Ice Road Trucker Lisa Kelly. Doesn't she live in Wasilla? Uh, I, think you I can't have that say. Right. Everybody says, I can't say that, but uh, everybody says, oh, that's where Sarah lives. And I said, yes, you're right, but I don't think she's here much. Yeah, but you know so. what? You know why I asked that is she's coming down to visit us at the farm here in another month. At the end of next month, she's going to be at the farm. Lisa Kelly from Ice Road Truckers. Uh, she's a big horse girl, and she's coming down to visit us. So that that's why I thought of it when once you said that. Uh, so that's cool. Very good. Well, guys, I appreciate. I know you're sitting alongside a road, John, and you just got whacked in the head. And oh, uh, actually, I'm uh, I'm actually home. I've made it all the way home. Okay. I was <laughs> So uh, I'm here. and Joseph, and, do you have uh, one I'm, final question? We have time for one more, and then we'll let him go. Oh, I was I, I had a whole bunch of other things that I'd love to have heard. Um, but, no, I'm really glad that both of them took the time to, uh, to, to talk to us. I guess mainly a little bit about their children and whether or not their children are, are actively involved with horses. And in John's case, you know, how the grandkids are doing with them. John, you want to start? Well, the granddaughter would uh, – have you think that she is, uh, you know, graduated and headed on up to some upper level um, uh, accomplishment? But uh, she's doing real well for a for a nine year old. That grandma only gets down there a few times a year, and uh, she's got to have her attention divided by the rest of the family. And uh, so her mother rides on uh, my oldest daughter. She rides on a still on a rodeo drill team or something. I think that's what it is there for in the Rogue Valley in Oregon. And uh, my youngest daughter is in East Texas uh, trying to stay afloat and not drown in all the water that's uh, coming up north of Houston at the moment. But, uh, she has her horses down there, and they trail ride still, and she's uh, a new high school ag teacher and teaching animal sciences and ag mechanics. Uh, in East East Texas, so she's still heavily involved in the uh, agriculture world, and uh, uh, was out at some kind of a an event there not long ago, with uh, like a few weeks ago, and uh, they were doing stuff with cows and horses. So um, she's still heavily involved. And uh, Travis. I've got uh, two boys. I've got an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. My 14-year-old hasn't ever shown much interest in horses per se. He's a lover of animals, and animals automatically flock to him. He's just got a, a great, gentle soul. And uh, my 11-year-old actually has a horse, um, 
well, at least that was the excuse my wife used to buy an additional <laughs> horse. And uh, so far, he's taken a couple of lessons. He definitely shows interest. And, and he's a little bit like me where he's, he's interested in everything, so it's kind of hard to dedicate that time just to, to one activity. Um, but there again, a, another just absolute lover of animals and, and animals flock to him as well. And, and, uh, very, very protective, likes to go down, help mommy in the barn. And, and, uh, just, just, I got, I'm very, very blessed. I got two beautiful, wonderful boys. So, but I, I don't know if they're going to become actual horse, horse, uh, horsemen or not. We'll, we'll see. Well, as long as they do after they're out of the house and not costing you money, <clears throat> that'd be the way to go. There you go. Amen, brother. <laughs> they can go marry their own horse girl at that point. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, yes. Travis. Thank you, John. We appreciate you joining us today. You bet. Hey, thank you, guys. That was fun. Of course, you can find all of the show notes for today's show at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can listen to us, iOS or Android, on the Horse Radio Network app, live or recorded. You can find Horses in the Morning over there. And you know what, too? Tomorrow is Friday, which means it's really bad ads day. So get your ads in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, we will have we have some great prizes for you this month, too. I think it's a, bo- a huge box of crap because I just went to Ada. And everybody which isn't loves- really a box of crap. It is. Yeah. People love my boxes of crap because it's yeah, yeah. not really crap. Uh, so, so uh, Joseph, also, thank you so much for being a sponsor and also co-hosting. Thank you very much. It's been really a, an honor and pleasure to be here and uh, get to talk to friends on EquityMFG.com is where you can find yes. the Shaken Fork and the Flexen Fork. And if you know anybody right. from 3M, drop us an email and uh, you could get yourself one of those if you get that introduction going. And uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter. We don't mention that very often at Horse Radio. And if you missed today's show, you can listen to the recorded version on the website. You can go back and listen to all 1,800 episodes almost now wow. on the website at HorsesInTheMorning.com. Yeah, people at the uh, podcasting convention we're a little shocked at how many episodes we put out. But you can wow. you can listen to it over there as well. Well, Joseph, thanks a bunch. You're welcome. And uh, don't forget to spay, neuter, and geld. <laughs> <laughs>